Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Wow, what a great morning it is together already. I just want to say I've had a number of conversations with a, a number of people uh, about just how, uh, how much we've experienced the Lord's presence in our gatherings over these last few weeks. And I'm so grateful for the way that the Lord has met with us. A few weeks ago, we lingered after service for prayer and worship. Uh, last week, I feel like the Lord uh, heard a lot of uh, uh, conversation about the Lord speaking deeply to hearts and minds. And so we just want to invite the Lord to do that uh, again this morning. So can we just pause real quick and just pray as we jump into the scriptures together? Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus, will you, uh, will you move amongst us this morning? Uh, grip our hearts and our minds. Teach us. Uh, help us change and transform to become more like you. We thank you for your presence with us, and I pray that you be ministering to us in the ways that we need this morning. And uh, we open ourselves to you. We surrender to you in this place here and now. Have your way with us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, as we turn to the book of Acts this morning, uh, we're going to once more take a leap forward in the book. Uh, last week, we've done this a couple of times now, uh, we are weeks away from uh, Holy Week, and so we're going to end our Acts series uh, just before Palm Sunday. And I know we've been in the book of Acts since last fall. It's been great, but we're only in chapter 17. <laughs> so we, we're jumping ahead today uh, to chapter 17. Last week, we were in chapter 15, uh, and we looked at the issue of circumcision and especially how the early church navigated the disagreement around the question of who could be considered part of the covenant family of God. We noted that uh, God was in the midst of not only transforming and changing individuals, but transforming and changing his church. We looked a little bit more closely at Peter's speech uh, in, in that chapter and the introduction of God's grace that we find in the book of Acts. It was powerful. Uh, to look at that. It's grace, not the law, that is the driving force of salvation. And that was a pretty significant thing in that chapter. So this morning, we are moving from chapter 15 to chapter 17. And I would just really encourage you, if you haven't been doing this already, go back and read the, read the chapters that we've been skipping. Last week, I said we were in chapter 15, but the week before that, we were in chapter 12. And so we kind of jumped a couple of chapters last week as well. Uh, we've been trying to touch on some of the major moments here in the book of Acts, uh, but we've, uh, we've jumped over other important things. One of the things that we've not really touched on as we've kind of been learning about the book of Acts is uh, that we've kind of, we've not covered in too much detail what are uh, the beginning of Paul's missionary journeys. So when we jumped from 12 to 15, we kind of jumped over the first missionary journey that he had, and today, as we're jumping from 15 to 17, we're jumping right into the second missionary journey that uh, he has been on. So I just encourage you, go read and get kind of a sense of all of that. It's really important. Uh, so this week, we find Paul... Uh, quite a ways from where we, we were with him last week in chapter 15. If you remember last week in chapter 15, he was in Jerusalem at the, at, at that, the meeting of, of all the elders and apostles trying to figure out this uh, who gets to be part of the covenant family of God conversation. So he was in Jerusalem listening to Peter speak. And in chapter 17, he's, he's far away from that. Now we find him in Greece. And actually we find him in the city of Athens. So quite a ways uh, and quite a journey from where we were with him last week. 
so there's a few important things that are really important to know about Athens as a city. In Paul's day, Athens had become kind of a shadow of its former glory, uh, the glory that it had back in the 4th and 5th centuries BC. Uh, Corinth was now kind of the leading city in Greece commercially and politically at this point in this chapter here. Uh, But that's not to say that Athens was no longer an important city. It was still considered a cultural and intellectual center of the Roman Empire. So Athens was was not only kind of a center of of, uh, of cultural and intellectual, intellectual, the the heart of the Roman Empire, but it was also known for it had incredible art. It It had magnificent art and incredible architecture. The art, however was usually portrayed, it usually portrayed activities uh, of various gods and goddesses from the Greek pantheon. Obviously, we're in Greece, we're in Athens here. Uh, And the impressive buildings were uh, usually temples to those same gods. It's very important that we know this as we start chapter 17. And this is what Paul is walking into uh, when uh, when we come into the passage that we're looking at today. And it really bothered him. In fact, in chapter uh, 17, and sorry, chapter 17, verse 16, it says this. While Paul was waiting for them, he was waiting for some of his companions that were traveling with him from another city. He went ahead of them. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he, he was deeply troubled by all the idols that he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. So it's important that we know that Paul's deeply bothered by what he's seeing. You're probably getting tired of hearing me say this, but we've been watching the gospel in the book of Acts move further away from Jerusalem at the beginning of the book and and onto the the larger uh, world stage. We've tried to hit some of the important moments, like I said, as different people from different uh, cultures, different places encounter spirit-filled disciples and the message of the gospel. We've kind of been watching that all along throughout our, our, our series here. Well, today we get to see how yet another group that we've not seen before, what happens when they encounter the message of Jesus and the gospel. Today, we're going to look at how the gospel, uh, at a group, they're the Greek intellectuals. <laughs> that's, who the gospel, that's whom the gospel encounters today in chapter 17, the Greek intellectuals. Uh, one of the, uh, one of the uh, scholars we've been kind of using through this as well says that, uh, Will Willimon, says that we have seen the power of the gospel reach, uh, to reach the rich and the poor, the Jew and the Gentile, the slave and the free, the male and the female. But can the gospel hold its own in the sophisticated intellectual environment of a university town? <laughs> Luke uh, takes Paul to Athens to the heart of the very best of pagan culture, the town of Socrates and Plato. What's going to (laughs) happen? So normally when we kind of see this pattern of Paul, normally what Paul does when he, when he gets to a new town is he first he goes to the synagogues, right? And he talks to people there. He had connections there. Maybe it's likely they still knew who he was at this point, uh, at least to some degree, uh, whether he was notorious or otherwise, uh, that he, they, he found hospitality there, maybe a place to stay, food to eat, possibly a bed to rest. So he would teach on the Sabbath and he would explain the scriptures in the synagogues to the Jewish people and the uh, Christian, uh, the Gentiles who are becoming Christian. But on this trip, he also did some street preaching. (laughs) 
And he went to the place where all the intellectuals gathered uh, to debate the latest philosophy and ideas. He went to the marketplace. The marketplace is where uh, they would typically gather and talk about and debate the latest ideas. Remember, this was an intellectual center, lots of philosophy, lots of ideas. And so they would go there and, uh, and have fun debating. And so Paul would go there and start preaching the gospel as well. We know that Paul himself was no slouch intellectually, right? We've been talking about this a little bit. We know that he was educated in Tarsus and in Jerusalem by the finest Jewish scholar of the first century, Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the grandson of Hillel the Elder, one of the greatest minds of his day. Uh, That's a pretty good pedigree, isn't it? And Paul had a face-to-face encounter with the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. He essentially had a PhD in Jewish law. That's quite an education. So we know that Paul could kind of hold his own with the Greek intellectuals that we'll see here. Paul could stand toe-to-toe with these sophisticated elites. And what he does is fascinating. First, we understand that he kind of has to get over the uncomfortable, the, the way that he's uncomfortable in this situation. Uh, how uncomfortable the situation makes him. We read again, just as a reminder, we just read it, but he's deeply troubled by all the idols that he saw everywhere. And as a Jewish person who deeply values the ancient story of God and God's people, I bet he had a few scriptures ringing in his mind as he's walking into town. And I think this is good for us to just review a couple of these scriptures so maybe we can get a sense of just what Paul might have been feeling. Exodus 20, verse 1 through 5 says this, Then God gave all the people uh, these instructions. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or image, or an image of anything in the heavens or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods." But about in Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord your God, that is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else nor share my praise with carved idols. So we know that this is deeply ingrained in Paul. It's part of their, their, the history of their people. It's part of his identity. And he's walking into town. Ugh, this feels terrible. <laughs> So even though he's troubled, he's got to decide how to connect with these people. This is a difficult question because these Athenians don't know the Jewish scriptures. The story of the Bible is not their story. The scriptures have no authority for them. So how do you preach and teach to a people who have no concept of scripture and the God that you know? Paul has to find a bridge. He has to find a cultural connection. And he realizes this as soon as he starts talking about Jesus. So I would say about this chapter is fantastic, but we could get deep in the weeds of various philosophical and intellectual, intellectual groups and theories that were going on here in this chapter. The scripture mentions two of them. The, the chapter 17 uh, mentions the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Uh, and so I encourage you, we have posted tomorrow morning, we've posted some uh, uh, commentary articles on our weekly resource page on our website. So if you want to get more into that, have at it. It's a, lot, it's a lot of fun. I think there's like 20 pages or 30 pages of different things you can read um, about all of those things. So I encourage you, if you're interested, to go into those. But uh, just real briefly, 
the Epicureans believed that the gods, if they existed, were very far away and wanted uh, had not and had more or less nothing to do with human beings or human life. Uh, the Stoics uh, were what are known as pantheists. Uh, they believe that all things are God and that there is no difference between the creator and the created. That's, a, those are, that's just way too simplistic in terms of getting to the understanding of what those, those two groups uh, were at. But you had <laughs> the one group that said, we don't know if there's a God, but if there is, it's very, very far away. And the other group that said, well, we don't know if there's a God, but if it is, then it's everywhere, right here. <laughs> and it's everything. Uh, so I'll do my best to make Paul's approach plain, but he brilliantly addresses both of these groups. So even though he's bothered by all these idols, he actually uses their idolatry as a point of contact and connection with them. It's, it's, it's incredible. So he begins to tell them about Jesus and his resurrection, and he knows, he finds out quickly, oh, he's got to do some work here. Um, so in chapter, or verse 18, it says, when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what is this babbler trying to say with all these strange ideas that he's picked up? <laughs> Others said he seemed to be preaching about some foreign gods. What's fascinating here is that actually uh, most of the commentaries that I read, what, they, what, they're, what some of these Greek uh, philosophers are saying, that they think that Paul is actually talking about Jesus and another God called resurrection. <laughs> so they really misunderstand him, right? They really are not following what he's saying here. It says, then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. Uh, you are saying some rather strange things that we want to know what it's all about. Uh, so there's a lot in those three verses. I, again, encourage you to go dive into it more. But he gets their attention. So they take him up the hill uh, to what's known as where this, the hill where they have major debates. There's kind of a formal aspect of solving problems on this hill, and it's called, it's often translated as Mars Hill. Mars is one of the Greek gods, and it's up on this hill. It overlooks the city, and this is where they settle disputes. Sometimes it's legal, sometimes it's academic, sometimes it's religious, and they give him the floor. Tell us, what are you talking about? <laughs> And so, I love it. Uh, we've seen this happen a lot in Acts, these kind of speeches, and we see this from Peter, and now we get to see one from Paul here uh, in this chapter. And so, Paul, standing before the council in this really important formal place, standing above the city of Athens, standing before the council, addresses them as follows, men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way, for I was walking along and saw your many shrines. And one of them, uh, and one of the, your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God uh, whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm going to tell you about or the one I'm telling you about. Uh, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. So one of the things that Paul does, which is really fantastic, is that he uses their idols as a point of contact. He says, listen, you Athenians, I see that you're extremely religious. I mean, I appreciate your piety. I thought I was spiritual and then I showed up here. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, you, can, that t you take the cake, right? Um, but rather, using, rather than using their idols as a way to beat them up, he uses their idols 
uh, to relate to them. You guys are so spiritual. And I see in your statues and your shrines all around, but I noticed that as I looked at all of your object of worship, one of the things that you have is to an unknown God. So whatever the philosophical approach uh, to this idol, to this unknown God, it had a sense that everyone was kind of hedging their bets a little bit. Everyone kind of agrees on some level that God, whoever that might be, is mysterious and unknown. So we might do some religious activities. Uh, We might make some idols and we just hope it all works out in the end. (laughs) And Paul says, I'm here to tell you exactly about who that is because there's one important thing that you need to know. Times are actually changing, and this is really important. So he connects with them on this unknown or on their, their idol aspect, and then he tells them something. It's brilliant. He tells them something here that things are changing. He says in verse 23, This God whom you worship without knowing is the one that I'm telling you about. And he goes on to tell them that this isn't random, this isn't a random time in history. It's actually very important, and God is on the move moving history forward and inviting all humanity to something new. In verse 30, he says, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and to turn to him. So Pastor Holly, uh, we were talking about this this last week, and this is, she, she had this insight, which I, I mean, we're talking about it, but I didn't see it as clearly as she said it. She said, isn't that a great way to really gra- grab a, uh, the intellectual's opinion? To tell them they're ignorant. <laughs> Whoa! God has overlooked people's ignorance but now, about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent for uh, their sins, of their sins and turn to him. And then he, he said something similar back in chapter 14 in a different uh, town. He said this, in the past... God has permitted all the nations to go their own way, but he has never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you the rain and good crops and he gives you food and joyful hearts. This becomes a really important argument for Paul as he goes through Acts. The time is past when you can say, I don't know. (laughs) And here's why, right? He'll tell us. In, in Colossians, and just a little bit later, he writes in Colossians chapter 1, 26 through 27, this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past. But guess what? It has now been revealed to God's people, for God wanted them to know the riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too, and this is the secret that Christ lives in you. He starts working through this. He becomes a major part of, who, of how he's thinking about connecting with these people and Even in Ephesians 3, 5, and 6, we see this, that God did not reveal uh, it, the the gospel message, God's plan to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. We talked about this a bit last week. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. Paul tells them that you can know, the time has passed when you can say, well, we don't know who this God is. This is an unknown God says, nope, that's done. God, maybe let that be okay in the past, but no longer. God has fully, completely revealed his plan for the world (laughs) in and through the person of Jesus Christ. 
He tells them, he, he begins to lay it out in such a way, this, this speech that he said, he begins to lay it out, the plan, out in such a way that addresses both the philosophical and theological hangups of his listeners as they're gathered there. You can't use ignorance any, uh, you can't use ignorance as an excuse any longer. What may have been unknown before is now plain for all to see. Acts 24, uh, verses 24 to 31. And he starts, he is kind of the beginning of his speech here. He says, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live uh, in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He's talking about who God is, but he's also addressing some of these concerns that uh, are coming up from the people that he's talking with. He gives himself he, he himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfied every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth, and he decided beforehand uh, when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way around uh, toward him and find him. That's a wonderful, in other translations, it says, you should just try to crawl and grasp around for God. Like that should be the extent to what you're, how you're searching. Just crawl and grasp. Do anything you can to find God. Though he is not far away from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. Or we, maybe you know it, in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophets, uh, poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by a craftsman from gold or silver or stone. Then what we've been looking at, God overlooked his his people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands that everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world uh, with justice by the man that he appointed, and he approved everyone who, who this is by raising him. He proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead, Jesus Christ. So for the Epicurean, the gods were far away and didn't want anything to do with us, but Paul says God is actually very close. He's the giver of everything to us, and he's the passionate seeker who wants us to seek him in return. Uh, To the Stoic, pantheist, uh, Paul says God and the world are not the same thing. He's revealed himself uniquely in the person of Jesus Christ, and that ought to lead you to reach out, to grope and grasp for the real God who is not far off. God's not far away. God's not contained in statues or temples. He's fully revealed himself in the person of Jesus and he wants you to be part of the, He wants you to be part of it. Here's the point. God wants to be known. <laughs> oh. He's, he's addressing a people who are saying to the unknown God and he says, nope, that time is over. God wants to be known. Even here today for you and me, God wants to to be known through his scripture, through the movement of his spirit, in and through his people, in and through his church, in and through you and I, even as we sit here today, God wants to be known to the world (laughs) through you, through us. It's clear as day. (laughs) The time for saying, well, we don't know is over. God has made his plan, has revealed his plan 
through the person of Jesus Christ. Christ has come and has revealed what God's plan, what he had been planning all along. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. Are you excited? (laughs) This is incredible stuff. It's powerful stuff. We know that God has revealed his plan because Jesus came, died on a cross, and rose from the dead. We're going to celebrate all of that, that part of the story, that part of what God has done in just a few weeks from now. We don't have to wonder any longer. Another scholar that we've been tracking through this, N.T. Wright, comments that Paul's encouragement for the Athenians here is this. Think hard about what you call the unknown God. And let, the, let new light from the true God flood through this open window and transform you. Transform your heart. Leave behind distant signposts and philosophies, uh, poets and religious rubbish that humans manufacture. <laughs> there is a living God and he is now calling everyone everywhere. How will you respond? God wants to be known in you. God wants to be known through you. Paul said it's in God that we live and move and breathe. We live and move and have our being. One more, one more quote here uh, from, an, uh, from one of the commentaries we've been following. Uh, a scholar named John Stott says that in Athens, Paul proclaimed God in his fullness as creator, sustainer, ruler, father, and judge. Paul took them through the whole of the nature and history and he emphasized the greatness of God not only as the beginning and at the end of all things but as the one to whom we owe our being and the one to whom we must give an account. God wants to be known. God actually can be known. (laughs) That's that's one of the hallmarks of, of what it means for us to follow Jesus, that God can be known. And I'll say as we end our time together, worship team, would you come on back up? I'll say uh, as we end our time together, that I was challenged this week in, in my study of this passage. Um, again, from the, from the um, commentary we just read, an author, scholar named John Stott, he said, it's not only the comprehensiveness of Paul's message in Athens, which is impressive, but also the depth and power of his motivation. When Paul walked around Athens, he didn't just notice the idols, he saw the people. He saw men and women created by God in the created by God and in the image of God giving to idols the homage which was due to him alone and they were wondering what it's all about. His heart was gripped by a longing for God to make God known to the people around him who were walking around looking but couldn't see, questioning but had no answers. Oh, may that be true of us, that we will walk around our towns, our workplaces, our families with a longing, a deep longing to know God and to make him known anywhere and everywhere we go. We talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus, of God. That is true of us. (laughs) So how will we live? How will we with every ounce of who we are Seek after God and try to make him known. Lastly, Paul's message to turn away from these things, give them up, these idols, shake yourself free of them, and turn to the living God, grasp for him, find him. You will only do that if you 
he, the, one of the authors said, abandon your parodies and idols that get in the way and distract you from the true God. But it can be done. And it can be done because the living God is at work changing the times and the seasons so that now the day of ignorance is over and the time of revealing the truth has arrived. Recognize where you are in God's timetable with the landmark of Jesus' resurrection to be our guide. How will we, as individuals, how will we as a church work with all our might to make God known, knowing that God has revealed his, his, the whole plan in the person of Jesus Christ? Maybe that can provide some clarity for us this week as we're interacting with others. Maybe that's, it works just to inspire our faith, to say, yes, our God is mighty to save, amen? We're gonna sing that maybe even more deeply because we know who God is. Let's pray together.